So John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, says Jesus, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a, a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf come in, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hands and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. But these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. Amen. Well, feel free to keep that open as we look into that this morning. This weekend saw the final episode of James Corden's Late Late Show. He's now heading back to the UK after spending eight years living abroad uh, in Los Angeles. Now, for those who don't know know the name James Corden, it might uh, help jog your memory uh, that that he really rose to fame by co-writing and starring as Smithy in the popular um, TV comedy Gavin and Stacey. Although he's gone over to the US and now he's He's super famous over there for hosting their Late Late Show. Uh, he's done lots of other things, um, and he's, he's got to know, he's really good friends with a number of what you know um, magazines would call triple A-list celebrities, so he's really good friends with the, the Beckhams and, well, you know, Harry Styles and all these kind of people that, you know, I have their numbers, you know, that kind of idea. So, um, but in this final episode, what he does is he's woken up by Adele in the middle of the night, and Adele actually... Um, uh, 
gets James Corden into her car to do something lots called carpool karaoke. Now, carpool karaoke is something that Corden was known for in the Late Late Show, and it basically involves uh, him um, grabbing a famous celebrity, driving them around, and as the name would suggest, doing um, karaoke in a car with them. And often they're singing uh, their own songs. For instance, the first person he ever got to do this was Mariah Carey. Uh, But he's also had a host of other people uh, in his car uh, singing their own songs uh, alongside him. So Stevie Wonder, um, Bruno Mars, Elton John, uh, Celine Dion, uh, even Michelle Obama has been doing carpool karaoke. But as they drove and chatted for their last ever carpool karaoke, it was, it was obvious that Adele and Corden were really good friends. They'd holidayed together multiple times. They'd shared lots of uh, intimate moments together um, uh, as families. And, uh, and at one point, Adele uh, shared how Corden was the inspiration for one of her songs. You see, if you know James, you will know that he always seems to be upbeat and positive and and funny and lively and and the life and soul of the party. But but Adele opened up. I wasn't quite sure if James knew that she was going to open up about this. But but basically, she just started sharing how James had phoned her up uh, and had a six-hour conversation with her, sort of pouring out his heart just how low he was feeling. And based upon this conversation, Adele went to write the song, I Drink Wine. And, and what they did is then they moved and they started singing this song together. And as they sung this song together, it was obvious that, J- that James was sort of choking up with emotion. And do you know what this song was about? This song was about some of James's unfulfilled and yet deepest needs. And those needs are needs that we all share. Needs to be known needs to have value, needs to have a purpose. And if you've ever seen James on TV, you would think that he's the last person on earth to struggle with these feelings. But the truth is, no matter how together people feel, that people seem on the surface, people still need to have this sense of value, of, of purpose, and a desire to be truly known and accepted for who they really are. And in a display of honesty, James sort of said, you know, uh, it was everything I was feeling that day. I was flawed by how you managed to take everything I was feeling about myself and about life and just put it into verse. Now, Corden is someone who is hugely famous, really popular, got loads of really great friends, and also hugely successful. Now, we think, don't we, if only I could be famous, if only I could make it, if only I could be successful, if only I had this relationship in my life, then it would bring me happiness. And yet, for all his wealth, for all his popularity, for all his success that he experienced, it was not enough to fill his deepest needs of the human heart. The need to be known, the need to be valued, and the need to have a purpose. And no amount of humour or or quick wit could distract away or or cover up, uh, paper over his deepest needs. Needs that we all have. But do you know what the good news is? The good news is there is a place where we can have these deepest longings fulfilled. And in, in truth, it's not so much a place, it's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. And in our passage today, Jesus says... I am the good shepherd. 
Now, of all the, the animal husbandry uh, images that, that um, Jesus could have used at this time, um, I find it a, a little bit amusing and insulting, I suppose, maybe, I don't know, that he would use sheep and shepherd because it's perhaps the least flattering of all these sort of images. You know, perhaps I would have preferred Jesus to have said, you know, you're like a soaring eagle, David, or maybe you're like a, a, a mighty lion or even like a dim-witted but slightly faithful dog. But no, he calls us sheep. And there are two things, yeah, if you, uh, if you uh, ask a shepherd, there are two things that all sheep have in common. They are very good at getting themselves lost, and they are often utterly helpless. You know, if a wolf comes to them, they're not going to pounce on a wolf and try to attack it. They're often completely helpless. You know, if you ask a sheep farmer, they will tell you just how stupid sheep are. You know, that's what they'll say. They they have a natural ability uh, of finding ingenious ways of getting themselves into danger. And what Jesus is saying to us here is that we as humans are completely spiritually dependent We are easily lost, and we are frequently helpless. Easily lost. This this imagery of sheep and shepherd is throughout the Bible. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, we are easily lost. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Each of us get easily lost, and we are frequently helpless. Words of Jesus, this time in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Lost and helpless. And this is our spiritual condition. But the good news is Jesus comes to be our shepherd. And Jesus, the good shepherd, comes not only to find us and to keep us safe, he also comes to fulfill the deepest longings we have as humans. So let's look at what this passage says about how Jesus, the good shepherd, firstly, knows us intimately, secondly, values us beyond measure, and thirdly, gives us purpose and meaning. Knows us, values us, and gives us purpose. Now, before Dr. Zhivago, that's the one, yeah, um, was made into a TV uh, series, before it was even a film, it was actually a novel uh, by Boris uh, Pasternak. And in it, there's a memorable line in which people are described in this way. It says this, people are nameless numbers in a file, long since mislaid. Nameless numbers in a file, long since mislaid. Just a few months ago, the UN uh, estimated that the the world population passed the 8 billion mark for the first time. 8 billion people striving to be known. And yet, too, too often, we can feel like nameless numbers on a file long since mislaid. That's how we can feel. I remember phoning up, I think it was the doctors the other day for, for some reason or other, and, and they didn't want to know my name. They wanted to know my number. Nameless numbers on a file. But the, but the interesting thing is, next weekend is actually the coronation, and it will probably hugely surprise you to say that this very week, King Charles himself called me on my mobile to check if I was able to attend. 
Well, if that would surprise you, it would certainly surprise me. King Charles doesn't know me at all, yeah? He doesn't know my name. Of that, I am definitely certain. Of course, why would the king of the United Kingdom and 14 other Commonwealth names know my little old name? I am but one of eight billion people on this planet. But do you know something remarkable? The king of England might not know my name, but the king of kings knows my name. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows my name, and he knows your name. You know, you, he, you are not a nameless number on a file. You are known to him, and he calls you by name. Verse 3, he, that's Jesus, calls you by name. You are known. You are known intimately. And secondly, you are valued beyond measure. You are valued beyond measure. In the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes, I don't know if any of you have read these series of short stories by Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, there's one short story called The Adventure of the Musgrave Ritual. The Adventure of the Musgrave Ritual. And Mr. Musgrave, um, in summary, is a head of an old English family, and he goes to Sherlock Holmes with a great mystery. On their estate, they discovered a, a treasure of sorts. Uh, uh, at the bottom of a lake, they'd found a box with a, with a few coins, you know, dating back to about Charles I's time, and other assorted bits and pieces, including something that, that looked like a, a dark and twisted sort of circle of metal. And they knew that it must be valuable because someone had been murdered for it. Someone had died for this treasure but they could not work out why it was so valuable. It was just a piece of metal, debris, you know, a few coins. And Sherlock, in his own, you know, typical Sherlock way, examines the evidence, and after some time of looking at the treasure, suddenly something dawns. And these are his words. He says this, I could understand his regarding it as of small importance when I looked at it, for the metal was almost black and the stones lusterless and dull. I rubbed one of them on my sleeve, however, and it glowed afterwards like a spark in the dark hollow of my hand. The metalwork was in the form of a double ring, but it had been bent and twisted out of its original shape. I must congratulate you on coming into the possession, though in rather a tragic manner, of a relic which is of great intrinsic value. What is it then? Musgrave gasped in astonishment. Holmes replies, it is nothing less than the ancient crown of the kings of England. It is nothing less than the ancient crowns of the king of England. You see, the family and the police have been trying to figure out why, why on earth anyone would die for this. And then Sherlock arrives, and he looks, and he thinks, and he sees beneath the surface something of great value. And this is what Jesus does when he looks at you. You may feel like that dark and twisted ring of metal, but Jesus sees beneath it all, he sees your intrinsic value, and he wants to restore you to your true glory. Why would anyone die for this? This was a question that a family had been grappling with, and the answer was, its value was beyond measure. That's the same question we might ask for ourselves. Why would anyone die for me? Why would anyone die for me?
for me? Well, Jesus says, your value to me is beyond measure. He says this, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, verse 14, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Are we getting this? Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for you. This is the measure of your value. Not what someone else tells you, not what the world tells you, not what your social media accounts tell you. This is your measure that he died an agonizing death upon the cross. He hung there for hours, slowly suffocating, with nails driven through his wrists and feet. And he did this because you're worth it, because you're great intrinsic value. And he sees the bottom of you. He sees all the dark and twisted parts that you want to hide from others. He sees your thoughts. He sees the behaviors. He sees all of you, and yet, to him, he sees beneath it all. And to him, you are valued beyond measure. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. You are known intimately. You are valued beyond measure. And third, the good shepherd gives you purpose and meaning These things that we always want, purpose and meaning. The good shepherd gives you purpose and meaning. Verse three, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now a shepherd would know his sheep by sight. If we look at a bunch of sheep, they'd be like, oh, they all look like sheep. But actually a shepherd would actually know which were his sheep and which weren't. They would know them by sight. But he would be able to pick them out from a crowd. But to give each sheep a name, well, this is something different. You see, throughout Scripture, uh, when God gives people a name, it often speaks of their purpose. Names are associated with purpose. So, for instance, when he calls Abraham, and he calls Abraham uh, out from where he was living, and he gives him a new name, and he says, from now on, you'll be called Abraham. And that means a father of all nations, the father of all nations. And when Jesus in the New Testament um, calls Simon, he gives Simon a new name. And he says, from now on you'll be known as Peter or Cephas, which means rock. Again, speaking of Peter's purpose in building the church. And friends, Jesus has a purpose for your life. If you are alive here today, and I'm trusting that we all are alive, then Jesus has a purpose for your life. He's not forgotten you. You're not laid aside. He has a purpose for your life, a role that only you can play. You are part of his good plan uh, that requires you to play your part. That's why in our commitment forms we said, play your part. We're all called to play our parts in the ways that we serve him and and shine like him in our local communities, serve the local church. Uh, Jesus calls us his sheep by name, and then he leads us out. Not only does he call us by name, not only does he give us a name, he calls us out, he leads us out. And Jesus wants to lead you into a life of purpose and meaning. Let's read in verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you meaning. You see, all too often, we prefer not to follow. I'm speaking for myself, of course. You know, we make the huge misunderstanding in thinking that if we follow ourselves, our plans, then this will lead us to living a life and having it to the full. But, and that following Jesus... Well, well, following Jesus means a life without fun, without pleasure, without even things that are fadding. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to have any of that. But that is completely the wrong way around. Jesus has come that you may have life and have it to the full. He knows what's, what, what he knows he wants to give you life to the full. And there is no better person to follow in this life or eternity than Jesus, the good shepherd. He knows you intimately. Your value is beyond measure and your life has a purpose. And so my question today is, will you follow the good shepherd? In our closing verses of our passage today, you can see that Jesus clearly divided the people. You know, there were those that rejected him and refused to listen to his, to his words, that's what it says. And then there were those who were willing to listen to him. And so what is your response? What is your response to Jesus? Jesus wants to lead you to life, life to the full. But we need to follow him completely, unconditionally, and personally. We need to follow him completely. This means we are to follow him in every area of our lives. Too often, we treat Jesus as a sort of consultant. Jesus the good consultant, and not Jesus the good shepherd. You know, there might be an area in our life, uh, we're, we're, we're going along, we're thinking we're making life, you know, and then suddenly an area of our life uh, we, we meet and we're struggling with. And so we ask Jesus to come and to lead us in this area. So perhaps we're struggling uh, with our career, and we say, Jesus, come and consult in this area of our career. We really need your help in this area. But to be honest, Jesus, stay out of my love life. You know, come and help me with this area, but stay out of my love life. Or, or perhaps things are going difficult in our relationships. And we say, Jesus, I'd really like you to come and help me in this area of relationships. But you're not welcome. Your advice is not welcome in how I, I use my money. You know, stay out. You're, you're a consultant. We treat Jesus as a consultant, defining his terms of reference and where he's permitted to operate. But Jesus did not say he was a good consultant. He said, I am the good shepherd. And the thing about shepherds is that shepherds are involved in every area of a sheep's life. The, the shepherd is their guide, is their protector, their provider, their physician. We need to follow Jesus completely and allow him to operate in every area of our lives. And we need to trust the good shepherd. We need to follow him not only completely but unconditionally unconditionally. If you were with us before Easter, uh, we, we were unpacking the book of Job. And you will remember that there are times that we're meant just to trust God unconditionally and to walk with him through the storms of life. Even when we don't understand why something is happening, we need to follow Jesus unconditionally. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. We do not know what he knows, but we do know that he is good. We do know that he is good. He is the good shepherd. Follow him completely, follow him unconditionally, and follow him personally. You know, of all the other I am statements, 
They're all inanimate objects. You know, I am the gate. You know, um, I'm, the, I'm the bread of life. But here, Jesus brings a personal image. Jesus wants to know you personally. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus calls himself a shepherd because he wants a relationship with you. Will you invest in that relationship? You see, friends talk to one another. They move beyond the superficial. They open up. They're real with each other. Friends spend time together. And Jesus is calling some of you back, back to that relationship, back to him, to spend time with him, to move beyond the superficiality of the short, give me prayers, Lord, give me this, give me that. You know, to rediscover your first love. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And so whether today you are choosing to follow Jesus for the first time or whether you hear his call to follow him more unconditionally, more completely and more personally, friends, follow the good shepherd who wants to give you life and to give it to the full. Let us stand to pray.